Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight incredible women in STEM and discover who they are at home, at work, and everywhere in between. You can find all of our episodes online at podcast.swe.org or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Hello, I'm your host, Sam East, and welcome to Diverse, a sweet podcast. I'm thrilled to welcome Gretchen Curry onto the show with us today. She is the Director of Quality North America for Fortune Brands Innovations, which is also our sponsor for today's episode. Gretchen, I'm so looking forward to just diving right in, learning about your story, your tips working with international teams, and the advice for fellow women in engineering. <laughs> Well, great, Sam. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Mm -hmm. But before we really get into the nitty gritty, as always on the podcast, we love to start at the beginning, the origin story, so to speak. In your case, could you share the story of how you originally became interested in STEM and engineering and what your career really looked like as a chemical engineer? Oh, uh, for sure. So I think it's a little underwhelming how I got into engineering. Back when I was in high school, I was applying to universities. One of them was the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And mm -hmm. when I applied there, I had to select what I planned to major in. And I went to my counselor, spoke with her, and she said, hey, you're good at math and science. Why don't you try engineering? And that's really where it all started. Fortunate that I did that. It was a great career path for me. I very much enjoyed it. At the end of the day, I think, so I did do chemical engineering because I got to the University of Michigan, really enjoyed my chemistry class, which mm. is a little misleading because chemical engineering is much more about processing than truly chemistry, but enjoyed it, really found myself to be a problem solver. And to be honest with you, my chemical engineering path has been much more of a general engineering path. So mm. I've done a lot of manufacturing engineering, you know, your process engineering, I've done product development few years into it, I decided I wasn't going to be on a technical track my entire career and did get my master's in business to complement the engineering degree. So mm -hmm. I have also done some retail sales, some product management, and now I am back on the quality side, kind of applying all that stuff I've learned about products and about customers and about working with other teams to make myself successful in this role. Well, it's interesting that you said the start, the origin story was underwhelming. I actually find it the opposite. <laughs> I, I don't find it underwhelming because, you know, we, we've done a lot of origin type stories on the podcast. We start almost every episode in that way. And yours actually stands out, believe it or not, in that a lot of the other people we've spoken to were like, you know, I was at home with my family and then the lights were yeah. flickering and I thought, oh, this is it. And that's what sparked their engineering career. But I think in a way, though, you may not see it that way. That also could be inspiring for people who might not be. 100% sure that this is the path for them, but they have some of that strong foundations in science and math, just like you. Oh, for sure. And I, you know, I credit my counselor for recognizing that and pushing me in that direction because, you know, certainly we continue to struggle with getting women into the STEM mm. programs and particularly in engineering. And it, some of the things I've read say that, you know, girls lose interest fourth, fifth, sixth grade in science and math because it's not cool and because it's not interesting. So right. to have somebody at school that's encouraging you in those things is very helpful, I think. Mm -hmm. And I understand that one of the career highlights for you involved a plant startup in Singapore. Yeah. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah. Tell us more <laughs> about that. That's so interesting. 
Sure. I was working with for a company called AeroQuip, which was subsequently purchased by Eaton while we mm-hmm. were doing the project. And it was a true greenfield uh, project. So we were there from the beginning. They were building on reclaimed land in Singapore because Singapore is very small. So they are constantly filling in the ocean to create more land. So it was super interesting to watch from the beginning while they drove pylons down 100 meters to make sure the plant would stand. As an engineer, I was responsible for half of the project. And what was fun in the beginning was I was given the green light to go to all of our other manufacturing facilities, try to develop the best process. And at the time, you know, lean manufacturing was really coming onto the scene. So it was really about being not only the best process from a performance perspective, but also see what we could do to apply lean technologies or lean ideas. Mm. So traveled to all the plants, came up with a process, and then also kind of had to get buy-in from all those other plants because at the end of the day, we needed people to come over and help us start all of this up. So it was really my first experience in working with not just people in Asia, but we had several plants in Europe that I went and toured, got buy-in on the process. So once the plant was ready, we had already, I was responsible for purchasing equipment and then watching it come in, help with the timelines to get it installed, and then validate the first products off the line. So mm-hmm. it would be two weeks in Singapore, two weeks back home. And then ultimately, when we started up the plant, it was six months there straight, uh, minimal time at home, but incredible experience. Just the learning you do as a female engineer internationally, the learning you do just as an engineer internationally, right? I think gives me a real heads up right now. Because the thing I like to say is, I know I don't understand the culture. And I think that Mm. gives me a leg up over people who think they can just go in and perform the way they always have in the U.S. And it really just doesn't work everywhere. That's a really interesting perspective on that. I was going to ask, you know, what do you find in your career experience now, the differences between that plant startup in Singapore versus perhaps your work in the States? Certainly, it leads me to be more of a listener, ask more questions, try to truly understand a situation before I jump in. I think when you're young and you're an engineer, you always think you have the right answer, right? And I think mm-hmm. the one thing it taught me was you, you want to make sure you understand and get everybody's perspective. So, Yeah. And how do you think this sort of impacted your leadership style moving forward? I think it was huge. And I would say not just my leadership style as a leader in general, but as a woman in leadership, I don't know how much you know, but in Asia, and particularly 25 years ago, which is what we're almost talking now since I did that, uh, women weren't as highly thought of in Asian cultures either. So it was interesting to be over there and try to be a leader amongst people who really didn't see you as a leader, right? Mm. And I've always kind of felt, particularly in the beginning of my career, I could go into a role and had to kind of prove myself where I've seen male counterparts come in and they almost have to disprove themselves, right? They're given the credibility. Um, So I think just that, all of that, and those kind of trials and learning, and then, you know, I think you kind of have to adjust your approach. And I do think that helps become a leader because you're you can see the bigger picture, you can understand a little better of what you're dealing with. And I do think that helps you lead any sort of team uh, in a better way. When you're in those situations, and of course, as we learn more and our perspectives are shifting now, it is different. But in those, those situations where you are confronted with that overwhelming feeling of, oh, I need to prove myself, 
What is your approach in that situation? Because that can be really overwhelming for a lot of people. Well, it can be. And I would say, I would give you two different examples. One was my first job at a manufacturing facility down south. And this was the first time I really, because I'll tell you at the university, I never realized there was a difference between men and women, right? Mm -hmm. But you get out in the workforce, very male dominated. And I was in a role for about six months and I had a good friend, male engineer that joined me at the same place in the same position. And about a year in, because he golfed with the the manager and because they were closer as males, my counterpart was verbally told he would have an opportunity that wasn't even discussed with me, right? Oh boy. So, but my friend who was pretty liberal thinking told me about it and and it really frustrated me, right? Mm-hmm. So what I ended up doing was be I was frustrated for a while and I eventually went to the plant manager and just said, you know, I'm frustrated with this. If, if there's an opportunity, I'd like it. And uh, he probably gave me some of the best advice anybody ever gave me and said, you know, Gretchen, if there's something that's bothering you and you say something and you get in trouble for it, that's not the place for you anyway. So I think that's really given me that voice all along right now to address things as they come up. Now, secondarily, I would say when I was working on the Singapore project, I was working with one vendor to create some equipment for my line. So every time they had a a question on my project, they would actually call my male counterpart and ask him. (laughs) And, you know, at one point he just said, this isn't my project. You need to call Gretchen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so when it came down to it, it was this vendor or another vendor for selection for the the process. Mm -hmm. And the other vendor had worked with me very well, much more Eastern thinking. And, you know, he recognized my role in the, in the process and was fine with that. And I did have to go to my plant manager and say, look, these are the two options. This guy is the one I think we should go with, but I don't want to not choose this guy because of me being a woman. And I don't want it to be at the detriment of the project. Right. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I almost had to kind of say, you know, I can't let my pride mess this up. Again, I've worked for some phenomenal people in my career. I continue to work for some amazing people. And, you know, he even said, no, you know, we're going to go with this other guy because that's how we should be doing business. So at the end of the day, in both situations, I was supported. But it's it's a path that not everybody has to deal with. Mm. I imagine that a lot of our listeners, you've really piqued their interest speaking about working in Singapore and maybe now the wheels are turning for some on how to get on with international projects. So, you know, whether it's the Singapore plant or any other initiative, what challenges have you noticed? We touched on it a little bit, but the challenges, um, hurdles you've had to overcome when working internationally. You know, so certainly right now I'm quality North America. I have responsibility for Mexico as well and Canada. I would say the biggest hurdle is really that language gap, right? So I was fortunate in Singapore that they speak English as their na- their business language, right? I, I think mm. it might even be their national language. But I, th- I think that's the biggest challenge. So I think if you have aspirations to do that and you want to work in Mexico or you want to work in Europe, I think it's important to learn the language. And I'm trying to do that right now, slowly, but I'm trying to learn Spanish to speak to my uh, Mexico counterpart. Ah, yes. Are we both on Duolingo? Yeah. need to be yeah um and as we mentioned too you are a leader at fortune brands innovations how would you describe the culture the day-to-day at the company and does fortune brands innovations have any initiatives that specifically support women or other marginalized groups in engineering 
Uh, definitely. First of all, let me speak to the culture. It's been kind of interesting as we become Fortune Brands Innovations, we're bringing together Moen, we're bringing together Thermatru, we're bringing together Fibron, we're bringing together Masterlock, we're bringing together Larson, all these companies that kind of acted individually. So mm -hmm. each of those had a culture. And I will tell you, Thermatru's culture where I came from was phenomenal, right? Very supportive of the individual employee, great bosses. They hired great people. I thought there was really good work across different functions. So I started from a really good place. Now in Fortune Brands, it's a little more formal. We're getting a little more focused on our centers of excellence, right? So quality is within the supply chain team. But what I would say is we still have that desire to help people and to give people opportunities. So to your point about how are they helping women and other groups, we are very big on diversity and inclusion. So I am part of WIN, the Women's Impact Network, which is focused on, you know, collaborating with women across the organization on building relationships, building skills, giving them opportunities to uh, build those skills uh, within the organization. We have a smaller group within WIN that is focused on STEM, but then there's other ERGs that are focused on, you know, uh, Latin American employees. So mm -hmm. it, you know, I think there's like six or eight different ERGs, which really shows that the company cares about, you know, these different groups and uh, promoting them and helping them with the needs they have that are different from the other groups. Mm -hmm. And looking ahead to the future of STEM, the next generations, how do you think that we can encourage more women to pursue careers in technology and engineering? Yeah, we got to get to them sooner, right? Um, and I think Society of Automotive Engineers has a really good program called the World in Motion that I've used in the past. And I think if you can target that fourth, fifth, and sixth grade girls mm -hmm. where they decide it's not cool or it's not mm -hmm. fun to be interested in math and sciences, I think it's important. Um, I have a good friend here in town who has historically been on the humanities side of teaching. And an opportunity came up to teach, I believe it was science, to a slightly older group. And, you know, even her, she was even concerned. She's a, she's a professional. She's been doing it for years, but she's like, oh my gosh, it's a STEM class. Can I really do it? And I, I just found that so depressing that she was discouraged that she might not be able to do it when she certainly is skilled to do it. So it's a combination of keeping people interested and then continuing to encourage people to perform in the STEM areas when you know they can do it. Mm. And are there other specific initiatives or even changes that you see as as critical in closing this partic participation gap beyond, you know, we, we talked about starting early. Are there things along the way as well that we should be keeping an eye on? You know, I think mentorship is huge. Mm. So I know within our company, we do try to mentor younger people to keep them interested in the sciences, because I will tell you, even some of the young female engineers we've hired tend to move on to product management or something else other than the true STEM professions. I don't know that I have a good answer, but what I do know is I'm super depressed that right now there's only 25% women in engineering. And that's about all there was when I went to engineering school. So would certainly be to open to any ideas, but I, but I think it's a combination of keeping people interested, mm -hmm. mentoring them along the way. Mm -hmm. And that's something I can do in my role with other younger engineers. But, but I think it's a tough topic but it's mm -hmm. something we need to try to figure out. And, and this is a tough one too, the balance, balancing right. the career, balancing motherhood, family life. That's, that's a big 
and very real issue for a lot of people. You are a parent. How do you navigate the balance? It's been tough. What I would tell you is uh, a couple things. First of all, I think you have to make a conscious decision that you are going, that you may want to do more with your family than you want to with your career for a while. And that's okay. So Mm. when my children were very young, um, I decided, I actually, I only had my daughter. She was six months old at the time. I was in Germany at a conference for a week and I just went, I can't do this. Right. So I came home, I found a job that allowed me to stay closer to home, really Mm. stepped off climbing the ladder for about eight years. And then was very focused when I jumped back in to propel my career that I would pick an organization that would be close to where we live that I could grow with. That's how I ended up at Thermatrue. So, um, and I think the other thing is not feeling guilty about that, right? I think a lot of us women feel like we have to get on that ladder and climb, 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 climb. But you know what? I took about 10 years off, taking me longer to get to where I wanted to be, which is where I am right now. But I wouldn't give up that time with my family at all. Now, what I would also tell you is I think I'm a better mom working. So I don't think if you're working, you should feel guilty about that because honestly, the time I have with them in the evenings and on the weekends and on holidays, I'm completely engaged where I'm not sure I would have that if I was, I was home more. So I would say, you know, don't feel guilty about working and don't feel guilty from a career perspective. If you do take some time off and it takes you a little longer to get to where you want to be. Yeah. There's, there's so many trade-offs along the way, but I think what stands out to me as you were talking about that is I think as women, especially, there's this great pressure, like the race against time yep. and, and the pressure to have to do it all. For so sure. it was very reassuring to hear you say, it's OK if you take eight to 10 years off or ho- however long it is that you want right. to take off because the job and the opportunities will be there. I think there's that sort of scarcity mindset of, oh, no, if I take this time off, maybe it won't be there anymore. No, I I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I think what you have to keep in mind is when you step back in, there's going to be people that stayed there for the eight to 10 years doing the same thing they were doing or growing and you haven't. So as long as you can understand that and realize it may take you a little longer from that point, you'll be fine. Mm, That is so reassuring to hear. Before uh, Gretchen, we let you go here. Looking back on the journey that you've had, if you could give one piece of advice to you know, women who are in the early stages of their career, who aspire to a career in engineering, which is what we're really hoping for. What piece of advice would you give? Um, I would say two things. One, keep learning, you know, Mm -hmm. challenge yourself to do special certificates, different courses, things to learn, but also do that in your career. Like, don't be afraid to jump and take a product management job where you can apply a lot of what you've learned in engineering to help you be successful there. I know I kind of said we lose people to those kind of roles, but I think, you know, just that engineering background is such a great basis of problem solving. You can do anything. And I would just say, don't be afraid and don't limit yourself and don't fall under that imposter syndrome where you feel like you're not qualified to do something. Take the step, give it a chance. If you don't get the job, assess why you didn't and address it through training, through other experiences and keep going after it. Mm. Gretchen, Thank you so much for sharing your story, your insights, and your advice with us today. Oh, it was great being with you, Sam. Thanks so much. I'm Sam East, and from all of us at SWE, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with your social network. 
You can visit podcast.swe.org to keep up with our episodes and learn more about how the Society of Women Engineers empowers women to achieve their full potential as engineers and leaders. 